Musicians, God bless you. Uh, I learn new songs everywhere I go. That's a new one on me. We'll add that to the repertoire. Uh, to, you know, uh, I think we're going to be singing new ones throughout eternity. Amen. Blessed be his wonderful name. Well, I'm just pleased to be here this morning. I'm a little bit nervous because uh, I know who I'm standing before. And, you know, if you could have a say, a jar of the blood of Jesus this morning. I, there's probably not a person here that wouldn't think that that was precious, priceless, right? Mm -hmm. But when you realize what it was exchanged for, yeah. and he didn't get a bad deal. So no matter what we think, Hallelujah. he believes Hallelujah. that it was a fair trade. Yeah. Amen. His blood is priceless, and I look at what he exchanged it for, and it, I just, it makes you want to tread lightly, walk lightly. <laughs> Uh, we, we thank Brother Ed for inviting us, and um, I've got a little advantage over him because I've actually heard him minister. I've been in meetings where he's ministered before at, in, in another place, and uh, we were actually in uh, Ghana, I believe, uh, at the same time 
one year and we just barely missed one another. He was, we were like ships passing and we almost got to uh, meet up, but um, he's a real missionary, a real man of God and a real man of faith. And so it's a privilege to be standing here before you this morning. Um, I don't plan on bringing anything new. I don't think you're going to hear anything you haven't heard before. If I can be like Peter and, and, and say, though you know these things, want to stir up your, your pure remembrance, though you know them, right? We just want to encourage you. Uh, we're, we're not here to, to take the office of a pastor here this morning. We're, we're under submission to your pastor uh, as we're visiting here, and we just... Whatever we can do to encourage, that's our, that's our goal. Now, I have to say a couple of words, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I want to just jump right into the word. I have a, a reputation sometimes of being long-winded. I don't want to leave that reputation here. Uh, I want to just get into the word as quickly as we can, but I realize that uh, human nature, you'll stare at me a little bit unless I explain myself a little bit. So uh, I just turned 64 the other day. Um, it's, uh, I'm still kind of shaking my head because, you know, we were, I can still remember when we were the new kid on the block and uh, coming into the message. I was 28 years old and uh, I came out of nowhere and the word got a hold of me and I, and I felt like I was a little late to the party and, uh, it, it, but God's timing is perfect, but one day you, you wake up and, and you're it. One day you realize you're carrying the baton, you know. You've, you've been faithful, you've been supporting uh, those that have been running the race before you, but then one day you look around and you realize it's, it's your turn to run with it. And, and um, if the Lord uh, tarries, that baton will be handed off again. And, um, and we just know that that's, that's how it is. So... Anyway, we've, I've been pastoring in Tucson for, um, it'll be 30 years this year, and um, we started out on the, uh, with a street ministry and um, going out to the prison, and um, 30 years later, we're, we're still uh, in service of the Lord, and um, been married 43 years. I have uh, three children, 42, 40, and 33, I believe, um, five grandchildren, and we thank the Lord that they're all serving the Lord, and, and um, that's the greatest reward besides our salvation that we, can, that we could have, and so we're just thankful for that. Um, so we're glad to be here, and um, we're excited that your pastor, um, Lord willing, is going to come our way as well, and um, a minister for us here soon in our, in our annual meetings, but um, I just want to fellowship around the word with you this morning, if that would be okay. And if something could be said that would be a help, if it would encourage you, then we'd feel like we were successful. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. <laughs> That's a challenge in the day that we're living in because all uh, uh, the, the negative is what's presented to us 
when we walk out the church doors, when we walk out of our homes, when we face the world, it's just negativity everywhere. But, but there are, we have the truth. And there are things that are lovely, that are pure, that are, that are good, and we should think on these things, right? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll start at the eighth verse. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which he caused to be dreamed, for they, they prophesy falsely unto you in my name, I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word. Somebody say good word. word. Perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. A lot of times we'll read that particular scripture, and it looks like, well, we've got to strain and put forth extra effort. No, what it means with all your heart, it just means you're not part-time, you're not partly seeking him. Your, your, your whole heart, your, just, your whole desire, your whole focus is him. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. God is completely in control, friends. I want to title the thought here for the next few moments uh, this morning, God's Eternal Thoughts. God's Eternal Thoughts. So let's bow our heads. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we believe that you've uh, uh, put some thoughts on our heart, Lord, to, to express, for us to fellowship around. And Lord, we know that anyone can open your book. We know that anyone can read from it. But only the author of this word can reveal it to us. So, Lord, I'm trusting in you this morning from the pulpit to the back door. I'm trusting, Lord, for you to inspire the word for the speaker. But then also, Lord, as that word goes forth, may you be in the hearts of the hearers and may that inspiration strike on the receiving end. And then, Lord, may, may that word live. May it be quickened. And may, it, may it live when we go out these doors, Lord. May it become living flesh. May it become manifested word. And Father, that will be the interpretation of it when you bring it to pass. Father, we, we love you. We just thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this church. We thank you for our pastor and his lovely wife and family and different ones that we've had the privilege of fellowshipping with for the last uh, day or so and those that uh, we hope to fellowship with in the future. Lord, for this body, for this, uh, uh, this church that stood uh, faithfully all these years, a, a pioneering church, a mission-minded church, and Father, your prophet told us that when you're doing mission work, that you, you, you know that you're in the perfect will of the Lord. And Father, we, we just thank you so much for the burdens of, of the people here and, and uh, the efforts that have, the sacrifices that have been made, Lord, for, for your word to find its resting place around the world. Bless each and every one here this morning, Lord, those that are present, those that are listening in, those that 
We'll be listening in, and Father, we'll surely give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Excuse me for just a moment. So God wants his children to know this morning, I know my thoughts concerning you. <laughs> Amen? We can argue with it, we can wrestle with it, uh, or we can accept that this is his word towards us. God had thoughts uh, uh, concerning each and every one of us before he created a single molecule. Before there was a single atom that was created, he had thoughts concerning you and I this morning. And he knows his thoughts concerning you, and his thoughts are not evil. <laughs> God's not thinking bad thoughts concerning you, but his thoughts are of peace, and to give you an expected end. <laughs> I want you to know this morning, friends, there's no surprise ending to your life. God has an expected end for your life. Amen. Amen. And they all lived happily ever after. Amen? There'll be a few battles in between, but we read the back of the book. And God has thoughts of peace, good thoughts concerning you to give you an expected end. God wants you to know this morning his mind is made up. Friends, he's not like us. He's not in the process of making up his mind. He's not studying you and watching you. He made up his mind before the foundation of the world. But he has, he's thought it all the way through. <laughs> Every little detail from start to finish. He knows every, every, uh, uh, the number of hairs that are on your head, the number of days that you'll have here on the earth. And he hasn't placed you here on a trial basis to see what you will do. He wouldn't be God if he's uh, learning and trying to figure things out. He knows what you're going to do. And his plan has accommodated and his plan has, uh, he's predestinated uh, uh, things to take place in your life. He has a plan for your life, and he will accomplish his plan concerning you. Our part is to surrender to him, to surrender to his will for our lives. And if you want to know what his will is, his will is his word. Now, we don't serve a God this morning that's learning. I feel sorry for people that serve gods that are learning. Our God knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. Our God never has one of these, whoops, I didn't see that coming moment. God knows, the, he knows every, every last little detail, friends. He saw it all beforehand. He lets his prophets see. He shows his prophets what he chooses to show them. But God has already seen it. And his thoughts are unfolding and his thoughts are becoming flesh no matter what comes. And the devil can't stop it. Aren't you glad this morning? I'd like to read a couple of statements from the message before we launch off, if you don't mind, from the infallibility of God's spoken word. Uh, paragraph 14, he says, and when I was coming over, I was thinking of this, the infallibility of God's spoken word. How many knows God's spoken word is infallible? It's just perfect. And if we could only, if this audience tonight could only get settled in their mind of who said this and what this really is, this spoken word, we, we'd not need any healing service. We, we'd not need any salvation altar call. It would be finished if you just realized what God, what, the, what that word was. He says, now let's look at it. Before it could be a word spoken, it has to be a thought. Because a word is a thought made manifest when God speaks. 
Now back in the beginning when God looked down through the corridors of heaven and saw all the things that were going to happen on the earth, did you ever sit and just draw a picture of it in your mind? That's the way God did it, perhaps in the beginning, and then it seemed good to him, so he spoke it, and as soon as it was spoken, it become word. The thought was expressed in a word. He says, now listen, once God expresses his thought and makes it a word, he can never take it back. Isn't that wonderful? Friends, there's such a rest in that. There's such a peace, you can count on it. He can never take it back. Oh my, you see it? He can't back up on it. He can't say, well, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. He can't. He's infallible. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. See, you and I, as we grow along, we become educated and smarter in everything. We advance, the human race advance. Everything advances but God. <laughs> he was perfect to begin with. He will be perfect when it's all over and he's still perfect. He can't say, well, I got a better way of doing it because I learned more. He was perfect to start with. Isn't that wonderful? I, don't you love to brag on our Father? Again, paragraph 19, he says, and if, we, if he said that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that's the very moment that God perceived the thought. And the thought was created by God himself and every time God makes a thought, it's a creation. And when he speaks it, it becomes a reality. So every word of this Bible is God's spoken creative thought. And every time it's taken into the right ground, it will be made manifest. Hallelujah. Amen. How many wants to be a betting ground for that word this morning? Then all the spooks drop away. Every shadow moves. And we stand anchored and nothing can shake you then, see? All the superstitions and ups and downs is passed in. We're right on the word. God can't do nothing but honor that word. He has to keep it. It's him. The word is God. The Bible said it was. And God, it's God's eternal, everlasting word. And to know how perfect he is, then how can he act this way in this crisis and then turn around and deny that and act another way in the same crisis? Oh, friends, there's such a peace there. There's such a rest. It's not a I hope so, it's an I know so. So it's a matter then of us coming to the recognition of who and what we are and what we have been placed here for. Is that right? When we come to this earth, we don't have a clue. And we might go many, many years until the Father calls us up one day, but we have no idea really what our purpose is. And young people struggle with that because they, uh, they think, I don't have a future, or, or if I do, I have no idea what it is. Friends, I want you to know this morning, God has a plan for your life. There's, uh, 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 if you're a part of the body, uh, every piece, every part of the body has a function. So just as with the bridegroom, the firstborn of the new creation, we find ourselves in the volume of the book. And then we say, be it unto me according to the prophecy. I, 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 I submit, I agree, this is who I am, this is what I am. Let it be so. We look Satan in the eye and we say, Satan, I have no part in you and you have no part in me. You wouldn't want me in hell because I'd be a troublemaker. But not only that, hell wasn't created for me. It was created for you and for your angels. 
Now we used to think that the message of our day came to us so that we could become what the message declared that an end time believer should be. Uh, the hardest thing you'll ever try to do is try to be something. <laughs> but then he made himself known to us and when he revealed himself to us as the present tense I am, the true Jesus Christ of the Bible, then we came to realize that we're not trying to become anything. We realize that we are the prophecy. The prophecy is showing us who we really, really are. We are the evening time lights. We are the written word that's made flesh in this hour. But we're just, we're awakening to that. We're coming to that realization. We, we first see the prophecy and then we begin to recognize, oh, I recognize that person in that prophecy. Wait a minute, that's me. And then there comes a time when we're not just uh, looking at the prophecy, all of a sudden we're in it. All of a sudden you realize the, the lights are shining on you. You're standing on the stage, right? Present tense. And God is living out that word through you. How wonderful. How blessed we are, friends. What a privilege to be a part of God's great plan. No matter what part it is, what a privilege to be the living thoughts of the Almighty himself. <laughs> we are God's answer to Satan's challenge in this hour. Uh, isn't that right? We're living in Satan's Eden. And, and Satan is, you know, he's come up with what his idea of perfection is. And, you know, I, I'm pretty disappointed. I don't know about you. But this, this is his pinnacle that he's, that he's come to. And he's, he's bringing forth every challenge but God has raised a standard and God predestinated before the foundation of the world to have an answer to that challenge. The first Eve fell. The second Eve fell. The first Eve, God put a perfect couple in a perfect garden with the perfect word and they fell, right? The second Eve, Satan got to the church, the church fell. But this last Eve won't fall. Right? But this last Eve, God put her in Satan's Eden. God put her in a place where it's confusion. Right? But then God came and brought his very own life, quickened them, restored the word. And then God said, This Eve won't fall. Isn't that wonderful? You wonder, well, what's different about this Eve? Well, what's different about this Eve is that he is in her. And he cannot be deceived. And if he is in you, you will not be deceived. Friends, it's, this is a third exodus. We understand that, right? And, and in this third exodus, you're actually ruining Satan's Eden. You realize he can't have, we, we think things are bad. Things are not bad compared to what they're going to be. It's going to be a time of trouble such as the world has never known. But it can't happen right now. Why? Because you're in the way. Amen? It's going to get to the place where Satan's going to want you gone about as bad as you want to go. Right? But we got a few things to take care of before we leave. I got family. Pharaoh says, you're going to leave your family, but you can go. No, I'm taking everything that belongs to me. I'm not leaving a single hoof behind. I'm taking my inheritance. Amen. You realize that Pharaoh actually paid the children of Israel to leave? 
They actually paid, they actually gave them everything that they used to build the temple. Gave them all those riches, a little bit of back pay, I guess, for all that servitude over the years. But Satan actually, uh, 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 Pharaoh actually paid them to leave. We'll leave when it's time to leave. But we'll not leave one behind. Hallelujah. So from our scripture reading this morning in Jeremiah chapter 29, we see that it's a time when Israel was about to go off into bondage and, and to be carried away off into Babylon and they were about to lose everything that they had. So let's just, uh, let's just dramatize this. Let's just look closely at this this morning, put ourselves in their shoes, if you will. They were about to lose their homes. They were about to lose their jobs. They were about to lose their vineyards. They were about to, there was only one place that you could worship God. They were gonna lose their house of worship. Everything that was dear to them was gonna be taken away. But Jeremiah, being the voice of God among the people, God began to use Jeremiah to bring comfort to the people before they were taken off into bondage. He assured them that God was completely in control of the situation. There was nothing out of cater. Even in that great and terrible time, he was, God was able to comfort the people through the prophet with his word, and he let them know that even before they left to go off into captivity, God had already prepared a way to bring them back again. God already knew the exact number of days that they would be gone. He knew exactly when they would come back. He knew exactly how he was going to get them home again. And so when we look at this, friends, we see God comforting his people before they ever left. I hope somebody's listening. He wanted them to know that the way back was already made for them to come back. Just as God let Adam and Eve know that there was a way back before they ever left the garden. So it's a beautiful story. It starts in the, uh, the Garden of Eden. It starts in that, that first book of the Bible. It starts with, uh, with that and then it ends at the closing of the Gentile ages, which you and I believe that we're living in right now. So the children of Israel, they were carried off into Babylon and their temple, their place of worship was destroyed. And we see in the book of Zechariah that it was supposed to be rebuilt in Zechariah chapter four. God told the prophet, he says, go tell Zerubbabel, I will restore, saith the Lord. And it won't be by power, it won't be by man's intellect, it won't be by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And there was nothing that could keep that tabernacle from being restored. But it looked impossible, and it was taking a long time. And you know, the, a lot of times on a on a job, whether it's an engineering job or or, or construction, whatever it might be, it seems like the last ten percent sometimes is ninety percent of the work. It seems like you know you can just get stuck. And well, I'm trying to get this done, and I'm trying to get that, that done. That's the uh, and, and there was so much opposition trying to finish this. You know, they're trying to defend themselves while they're trying to uh, uh, finish the construction of this. But there was nothing that could keep that tabernacle from being restored. So keep in mind, the natural tabernacle is foreshadowing the true tabernacle that would not be made of stone, but would be made of flesh. And so we find in the book of Isaiah that before the tabernacle was ever destroyed, 
God had already determined the man, the very man that he would use to restore it by. And, and, and we are told in the book of Daniel about Daniel uh, uh, interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you have a kingdom now, and it's a glorious kingdom. But the kingdom that you have, it's going to be taken away from you. It'll be given to the Medes and to the Persians. And Isaiah had already spoken of a Persian king by the name of Cyrus that would come and destroy Babylon and would set at liberty the children of God to rebuild the temple. And this was hundreds and hundreds of years before the temple was ever taken down, before the temple was ever destroyed. So God tells him, he says, the temple will be torn down, but I will rebuild again. And it won't be by might, it won't be by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So God later sent this king by the name of Cyrus in to destroy Babylon, and he was secular. He wasn't a religious man. He was a secular man, kind of like Donald Trump. And Oh, I said that, didn't I? Imagine when this king rides over the walls, and as, after he's destroyed Babylon, he's conquered, and uh, he's, he's conquered the Persian army, and maybe there's a priest standing on the corner that just kind of happens to glimpse out, and he sees this great general sitting on a horse and uh, looks very gallant, very powerful. Something looks familiar about this scene. And so the priest runs off, and he, he, he goes to get one of the scrolls, and he comes over to this great king, and he asks, sir, may I ask what your name is? And he says, certainly, my name is Cyrus. So he takes the scroll, he unrolls it, <laughs> He begins to look through it. He says, oh, there you are in this 600-year-old letter, in this 600-year-old scroll of the prophets. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. Hallelujah, this is that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, when it comes to pass, when God manifests his word, that stops the argument. There's no any further interpretation. This is that that was spoken. You and I are living in that kind of a day. Turn over to your neighbor and say, this is that. Your neighbor says, this is what? This is that that was spoken of. We're living in the prophecy. We're not looking for, toward the prophecy. We're in the fulfillment of it. And nothing's going to stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. So this Gentile king's name was already put here because he was the shepherd of God that, for the sake of the Jewish people. You realize that the Jewish people saw that parallel with Donald Trump and they, they coined a coin and they've got Cyrus's face on there and they got Trump's face on there because it's partly through what he's doing that's gonna allow them to rebuild the temple. Amen. Amen. So these things were already known of God and so that's why Jeremiah could be so comfortable in the word of the Lord towards the people when he declares to them, I know my thoughts towards you, and they are thoughts of peace. They're not thoughts of evil. I know your final destination. I know your end. And it's a happy ending. It's not a surprise ending. It's a happy ending. So everything that is happening was only happening to bring them to the expected end that God already had for them. Now listen close. 
If you only take one thing from the service this morning, I want you to get this. The destruction of Israel was not for the destruction of the seed of God. It was to destroy the idolatry that had slipped its way in among the children of Israel. God knew that he could take all of this idolatry out of the land, renew the temple, and bring his children back and not lose one in the process. That's the God that we serve this morning, friends. God never wipes out his own seed. How many knows that? Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I, I, I can picture the devil. Uh, he's studying Jesus. He's trying to figure out whether he is the son of God or not. And, you know, uh, he, he's doubting it. If thou be the son of God, this or that or the other, right? One day he hears Jesus say, uh, Father, I thank you for all that you've given me are gonna come and I'm not gonna lose a single one. I imagine the devil got a little bit excited right about then because I imagine he, he probably thought, you know what, I'm gonna bury them so far into the world. I'm gonna bury them so far into sin. I'm gonna make this one an alcoholic. I'm gonna make that one a prostitute, this one a Republican, <laughs> this one a Presbyterian. I'm gonna bury them so far, come on, come on friends, that God can't find them. Oh, friends, <laughs> there's no way. He knows your name. He knows what, what, what hour that you'll come forth. He knows what bed, what season that you'll come forth. You're the treasure that was hidden in the field. And he, he took off his royal robes and he came down and he said, I'm gonna buy the field because I've got children that are in this field. I'm not gonna take them out of this field, be in this world, but not of this world, but I'm gonna buy the field because when I buy the field, everything that's in the field is mine. I'm gonna hide them in my secret. I'm gonna rebury them, but I'm going to take them. They are my treasure. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So keep in mind that God had a book, we understand, with names that were written in it, and this book was his, if you will, his family photo album. And your name, we understand, is your characteristics or your character. Your name is what you're going to do on this earth. Abraham's name was changed from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. That's what he was going to become, right? Uh, 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 Israel, his, his name was prince with God. It was... Jacob, it was supplanter or deceiver, but his name was changed to match what was written in that Lamb's Book of Life. That's what he would accomplish while he's here on the earth. So if there had not been a fall in the, in the beginning in the garden, the names that were written on the book, they would have eventually all come forth by the spoken word. They would have lived on the earth, but we know that there was a fall. And yet God had a provision to ensure that all of those names would still come forth but by a second birth. And all are coming forth, and not one of them will be lost. Not a single one. They are the very attributes of God the Father. And on top of it, there'll be a whole lot more that weren't even in his original thinking. Not that he didn't know about them, but they aren't his attributes. There'll be a whole lot more that are saved yeah. along with those that are redeemed. Yeah. 
We, got, we have a lot of mountains around Tucson, and I put it to the church this way one time. You know, what if we had a brother that uh, went on a hike in the mountains in Tucson, say the, uh, the Santa Catalinas, and he hadn't returned in a day or so? You don't wait longer than a day where we're at because you can, you can be dehydrated or all kinds of things can happen. So you'll send out a search party. Uh, uh, and let's say... Uh, the brother's name is John, and so you send out a search party to find John, because John hasn't returned yet. Let's say along the way you run into a guy named Victor, right? You don't know Victor, but Victor needs help. Victor's lost. Victor needs to be saved. Are you going to help him? Of course you are. But you didn't go out there to find him. You went out there to find John, and you're not going to stop till you find John. But whosoever will, anyone you can find along the way... That's the God we serve, friends. So the very attributes of God the Father, those names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They are his eternal thoughts. They are predestinated to come forth in their season. Adam knew by his first birth that he was the offspring of his father. When you and I, when we uh, come forth by the word of, by the Spirit uh, in our day, we cry, Father, Father. Right? In other words, we recognize I came from you. You are my source. You are my point of origin. I was in you. I'm your offspring. I mean, that's when it breaks on you. Your spirit's bearing witness with his spirit, right? And we cry, Father, Father, and we recognize by the new birth, our point of origin, I came from you. And since I came from you, I'm going back to you. But until we're born again, friends, we're believing on God and we're trying to please him, we're trying to do his will, but when we're quickened by his spirit, the word in us quickened, we step into a new kingdom, we are literally a new creature in Christ Jesus, the continuation of this new race. We've only bypassed, as the prophet said, our theophany for a season, but we've heard from our theophany and our spirit now here bears witness that with his spirit that we are his. So man was given originally in the garden, he was given instructions to do two things. One of them was to replenish the earth or stock the earth. The other was to take dominion over the earth. Is that right? And I like to think of Eden. God, God established Eden as kind of the headquarters. And, you know, if you're back home, if there's a new housing development that's going up, They'll build what they call model homes first, right? And uh, they'll take people, have people come through and, and uh, show them the model homes, show them the different features, and then they'll tell them, we'll build a house just like this or, or with some modifications, but this is what you're going to get. Go, if, if you'll put a down payment, and we'll go ahead and start building this. So Eden was God's idea of what the whole earth would look like, Right? He'd started with that model home. In the restoration, God first brings forth the names. And so the names have been coming forth over the last, you know, uh, over the church ages. The names have been coming forth. But in the millennium, we take dominion. If that was God's original thought, it still has to be fulfilled. So think of the grace of God here for just a moment. As Paul shares it with us in Romans chapter 8, very familiar scripture, verse 28, Paul says, and we know. Somebody say, we know. know. 
not we hope, not we imagine. We know that all things, somebody say all things, all things work together for good. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are right. Think on these things. All things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are thee called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate or set their destiny to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn. Now friends, firstborn doesn't mean anything if there isn't a secondborn or thirdborn or lastborn. I don't know if the lastborns come in or, or not, but we'll, we'll go searching until the last one does come in. But there will be a lastborn so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. I love how this is past tense. It's done deal. In God's mind, this is finished. We, we, it still has to unfold throughout time, but it's done as far as God is concerned. Them uh, uh, whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see, God actually foreknew his sons and daughters that make up his bride body before this awful thing ever happened on the earth. Before man fell in the garden, before sin entered into the picture, before all of the troubles, all of the heartaches, all of the problems, God knew that he had a bride. And God knew what the conditions would be here on the earth when she, that she would come into. And God already, before we ever left his mind, oh, I love that, just the thought of that. Before we ever left his mind, he knew that he was going to bring us back into the place that he foreknew that we would be in. God knows his thoughts concerning us this morning, friends, and his thoughts are eternal. Now, we often spend our time overthinking this when it really isn't our idea to begin with. These are his thoughts. It's our place to believe him, <coughs> to accept it and believe it. But the problem that you and I have, and I put your, I, I'm right in the middle of this with everybody else, the problem with us as human beings is that we are living actually in a shadow world, and it's a world where we have limited sight, limited vision uh, that, that we then walk in. Before our new birth, Paul says we're dead while we yet live. We are living in a, a I call it like a dreamlike state. Now these are my words of, uh, uh, just humor me here for a few moments. How many of you dream? Uh, you know, whether you do it every night or once in a while. Uh, uh, have you ever woken up and wondered, so you had a bad dream and you're being pursued and this is happening and that's happening. Have you ever woke up and now all of a sudden you see it with clarity? You're terrorized in the dream. You wake up and you think, well, why didn't I just do this? Or why didn't I just do that? Right? But... but you don't see that when you're in the dream. In the dream, you're a victim. But when you wake up, you're no longer a victim. Is that right? right. So is it with the new birth. You wake up and you're no longer the victim. You're the victimizer. Amen. Satan is no longer causing you trouble, you're causing him trouble. 
Our natural vision is limited. Our natural vision is shaped by our first birth, by our home life, by events, circumstances that take place in our past. And we are limited in our vision uh, 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 because our vision is so narrow because we can often only see the here and now and the problems that we're facing right at this moment. And our vision becomes so molded by our troubles and, and by our issues and by our experiences and by our circumstances. But the scriptures are telling us that our lives are much bigger than our conditions, our circumstances, our, our homes and how we were raised and uh, what, what took place in our lives before we came into the way. You see, this picture goes all the way back to the mind of God. God already knew your path. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So that means that there's a people, friends, that are predestinated to be the very image of the Son of God. Do we realize the full meaning of that today? Who can stop it? <laughs> if this is God's eternal plan, God's eternal purpose, God's eternal thought, who's gonna stop it? Who can alter it? We aren't just born any time or any season. Your natural birth is supernatural. You know, you've already, you've already survived one in a million once. <laughs> we aren't just born at any time or, or in any age. I couldn't have been born in Luther's day because that word would not have woke me up. That word would not, I, I, I was not called to live that portion of the word. My, my, the word that I was to live was further down the road, so I had to sleep on carried in my, uh, my uh, uh, great-grandfather's loins in his jeans, right? So we have been brought forth in the time when the Son of God would be alive again in human flesh, in a body, a many-membered body this time, and the image of the Son of God will come alive again in the, in the people. It'll be the same one that walked the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago, now walking the earth in a many-member body. And God knew what hour and what season and the bedding ground uh, would be for our planting, right? I was born in Massachusetts. Tell me about it, Brother Doug. I can't tell you about it. We, didn't, we moved not too long after that. I can tell you one thing. I'll just drop this in. I was gonna save it for tonight, but I'll just drop this in here real quick. Uh, uh, we moved to Seymour Johnson, so that was Westover Air Force Base. It was at Springfield, Massachusetts, and if anybody knows anything about it, there's the Basketball Hall of Fame. Is, uh, the, the game basketball was invented there, right? So I had to move because I can't play basketball. Uh, it would have been the Basketball Hall of Shame, so I had to move. <laughs> and so we ended up at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in North Carolina. My dad was uh, working on B-52s, uh, electronic technician. Those were our big bombers at that time. Uh, my sister was born in February of... 1961, I was a year old, and we had a, what's called a broken arrow. We had a B-52 that blew up in the sky. It came apart. It had two armed nuclear bombs. One of them went into the water table, and they still haven't recovered it. The other one broke up, and they recovered the pieces of it. But the, at that time, 
there was only one mechanical switch that needed to be thrown to fully arm these bombs, right? And this was about 10 miles from where we were living on the base. It took 50 years to declassify it. That's how these things work. So it's been declassified. Uh, but our doctrine at that time was, uh, you know, it was an eight-hour flight over to Europe with a, a, a loaded bomber to drop bombs on the Soviet Union. And we had these bombers that would run these paths. They'd, they'd run this cycle 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, because if we waited till we were bombed to react, uh, you know, eight hours has went by. Or maybe our bombers have been hit. So every flight of these B-52 bombers would be, as far as they're concerned, it's an actual bombing raid. And they'd be told at the last minute, stand down. They'd get a coded secret message. You realize how, oh my. I'm gonna get off my topic here in a minute if I'm not careful. The four angels holding back the four winds of war. If you just knew of the things, how close we came, and God said, not yet. Not yet, because I gotta get this book open, or no flesh will be saved. John's name is on this book, and John maybe hasn't been born yet, so I've gotta hold this back until he finds himself in the volume of the book. Ed hasn't found himself in the, the book hasn't come open yet, but Ed's name's in the book, so I gotta hold this back. Our doctrine at the time, friends, was uh, uh, we had nuclear detectors, radiation detectors all up and down the East Coast and West Coast as well. The moment that we would detect a radiation level above a certain amount, we would tell them, go ahead and drop the bombs. And there's no thought in it. Not at all, because it has to be that kind of a reaction. This is before we had our, our uh, missiles online. That had to be the reaction. So imagine this scenario. We just dropped two bombs because our, the bomber blew up. We just bombed ourselves. And the radiation level went up. And so automatically, we just bombed the Soviet Union. That's the end of the world. 1961. The book didn't come open until 1963. Oh, I could tell you countless stories, friends, of just uh, God is completely in control. How he's held these things back because it wasn't time. Hallelujah. So God knew what our season, betting time, where you would be planted. And God knew that it would take a certain light to wake you up and bring you forth in this day. We aren't here in the stock hour. We're not here in the tassel hour or the time of the husk. We are here in the seed time when the seed has to come back to the earth. And Jesus said in John chapter 12, Father, glorify thy name. And he said, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. So here we are in the time when the name of the Lord is being glorified again in his church. You see, the same life is in another body, but now it's found its power, it's found its reality, and it's found a body that is willing to surrender to the powers of Christ. Satan is, Satan's gonna, his wings are gonna get singed here in Satan's Eden. So think about where we're at today in this unfolding. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we're all familiar with it, thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is that right? This is the first mention of the word church, and the church is not an organization, and it's not a club. So what is it then? The church that he's speaking about is something that he is going to build. What a prophecy. <laughs> Who is going to stop him? He said, I'm gonna build this church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's building it by his spirit, saith the Lord. And the word himself is telling us in Matthew 16 and partly into 17 what he's gonna do over seven ages. You can read that. If we had time, we could break it down, but it's all in there in that chapter. Uh, in fact, in uh, uh, chapter 17 starts after six days. So what happens after six days? Seventh day, right? He took Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain, right? right? That's this day, right? right? And there was a voice that spoke, but you had to be at the end of the ages to hear it, and you had to be at the top of the mountain. They heard a voice down below, but all they heard was noise, right? But they heard a voice up at the top, and they could see what was, what is, and what is to come. And he was transformed into his coming day. And Brother Branham said that was a preview of the coming of the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So this is something that he's going to build. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And here you and I are at the very end of it. Friends, we're not at the beginning wondering, you know, uh, there's the dark ages, there's the lion pits, there's this and there's that. We've already seen the church of the living God progress through all the ages. The true church. And we are at the very culmination, the very finishing of what God prophesied that he would do. Uh, in Laodicean church age, Brother Bram says, he calls himself the author of the creation of God. He says, this is another creation. This has to do with the church. This is a special designation of himself. He is the creator of that church. The heavenly bridegroom created his own bride. Friends, if he created her, she will necessarily match his specifications. Remember, this is the same one that said, let there be. This is the same one that, that created the first creation. Now he's creating the second creation, and she's exactly what he wants. She's ex and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. God can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to ask anybody. So the same one that spoke and said, let there be, has spoken his own bride into existence by his word and to his specifications, and you and I are living in the time of the completion of this work. What a time to be living. What a time to be in the hands of God. He says, I will build my church, and nothing is going to stop me. So no wonder the prophet said, God never changes his mind about his word, and he has thoughts concerning you and I. So ironically, you and I are living in an age that seems to be so far from the image of the church that Jesus said that he would build. Just as Zerubbabel just as, uh, uh, was, was discouraged at uh, the, the temple, it was taking so long to finish and there was so much opposition. Our age is the age that's foreshadowed by the tabernacle in Jeru Jerusalem that Zerubbabel was tasked with completing, or restoring, I should say. 
And so we look at the description of his church. Uh, uh, he said it'll be without spot, it will be without wrinkle, it will be without blemish. And we look at it, we think impossible. Come on, friends. We look at ourselves and we say, I fall so short of this image. But we're looking at the natural. With man, it is impossible. We will agree. But it won't be by man's might. It won't be by man's power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. And the tabernacle is being completed and it will be completed and it will be to his specification. It will be exactly what he said that she would be. And this tabernacle is being finished and the Lord God omnipotent is reigning in a body made with hands, but in, not made with hands, but in a body of uh, 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 flesh that's here on the earth, a many-membered body. She has come to maturity. She's of marriageable age. She's of the age where she can be impregnated and bring Christ back to the earth. One more, Israel and the church, Brother Brown says, let me tell you something, brother. Listen to this, and I say this with respect, hallelujah, all hell can't stop it. It's ordained of Jesus Christ to be so, and it will be, for upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How, what is it, what kind of a church, flesh and blood, has not revealed it to thee, Peter, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed it to you. Spiritual revelation by the Holy Ghost of the Word of God, he says. On this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. She's moving on. Somebody say that this morning. She's moving on. She's not going to move on. She is moving on. Hallelujah. Friends, there is a bride today that's moving on and she cannot be stopped. We're no longer looking forward to uh, uh, the, uh, the, this guy has to come over and he's got to have a brown suit and he's got to take his hat and put it over here and there has to be a lady in a red dress. We're, we're, we're seeing these things take place. We're in the fulfillment of it. And we need to pay attention. It's happening. We are the vision. The vision spoke of us. And now the vision is coming to pass. And she can't be stopped because she's not moving on her own power. And not by the power of a bishop or by an organization or a creed. But it's Christ himself. She's moving on in the power of God. As he is performing his word concerning her. And she can't be stopped because he is in control. How many believes that? I gotta hurry. Uh, I, I think for a moment here of David, uh, who one day he stood up on a hill and down, uh, down in the valley below, garrisoned all around about were Philistines. They were gathering there. They were garrisoned in the valley below him. And David did not immediately run down to the battle. But instead, David sought the Lord for his leadership. And that's, that's what we should do in this hour as well. He knew that the battle was the Lord's. And so he inquired of the Lord, and God told him, hold your peace for now. <laughs> you know, uh, to the natural mind, wait a minute. <laughs> They're right there, why shouldn't we just jump right in, you know? Uh, hold your peace for now. The Lord says, but when you see the wind in the bushes behind you, 
Well, then you'll know that it's time for battle. So think of it for a moment, friends. <laughs> David had his own thoughts to go do the battle first. And then he had these great generals, that, these great men that were trained in war. They had their thoughts on the situation. Oh, Brother Brandon, we think, you know, we've got the meeting set up. We think you should go here or there. The Lord told him, don't do it. <laughs> the Lord gave him some other direction. Is that right? So David, David does something that's just amazing. David turns his back on his problems. He turns his back on the Philistine army that's garrisoned down below, and instead he looks for the moving of the wind somewhere in front of him. Problems at his back, looking for the move of God in front of him. He's not looking at his circumstances. Come on. Friends, circumstances don't define you. They bring out what's already in you. I've heard people say over the years, well, you know, if you'd have suffered like this man of God did, if you'd suffered like that pastor, or suffered like this one or that one, well, you'd be kind of mean too. Well, you're right. If I was mean, I would be that way, right? Circumstances don't make you what you are. Uh, a simple illustration. If I took an orange this morning and squeezed it, what would I get? Tomato juice? Lemon juice? What would I get? You said, Brother Baker, you are absolutely ridiculous. Why would you even bring something? You get what's in it. Thank you for that answer. Whatever's in it is what comes out. You take a Christian and squeeze a Christian. Squeeze that heart. What do you get? Oh, sure, there's suffering, but you get a sweet smell and savor. You get Christ. You get what was in there. And friends, there's no way that we could come to the fulfillment of what we've been called to do without suffering. He said, I suffered. He said, if they treated me this way, how will they treat you? But rejoice. <laughs> Don't rejoice if you're, you're treated badly because you caused it. But for the Son of Man's sake, right? What will come out is what's in you. And you know what, it, it'll actually surprise ourselves. If we just be honest this morning, I hope we're always honest, but uh, doesn't it surprise, Brother Branham was, he said he came to the most treacherous time in his life. He said, there's his wife, she's dead. There's his baby laying there and, and, and afflicted. Her eyes are crossed. <laughs> that affected him to such a place, friends, that I understand that Every cross-eyed person that ever came across his path, all he had to do was look at him, and the eyes would go straight. I understand a lot of times they'd cross again, but not in his presence. That affected him. That left a mark on him. But he's there looking at her. She's straining and struggling, and he's, God, after all I've done, and I've served you, and I've done this or that, and I've just asked for one thing, and a, wet, a, a, a black sheet is hung down, you're, you're, you're killing me. You're taking my wife and now my baby. He said, God didn't answer. He said, the most treacherous moment. Satan said, after all you've done, you just ask this little thing, but something that's down on the inside that we don't even, friends, it's there. If you're born again of the seed of God, something is down on the inside. The deep calls to the deep. He said, the Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You find out in times like that what you're made of. Those situations bring out what's in you. Yeah. 
God's not trying to find out who you are. He knows who you are. We're the ones that need to find out who we are. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful. If you don't like how you reacted, we can have a rematch. We can have a retest. Aren't you glad? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So David knew the battle was the Lord's. And so he inquired of God and God said, hold your peace for now. And David turns his back on his problems and he's looking for something in front of him. He's not looking at his circumstances, but he's looking for the wind. Because he knows when the wind blows in the bushes, the angel of God will be in that wind. Friends, God's not dead. God took his prophet off the scene. He took Moses off the scene, right? But there was one to take him further into the land. We're not overrunning our skis. We're, not, we're under our messenger. We, those are the eyes, right? There, there, there are people that, I, I don't, I'm not picking on anybody. I don't want to, uh, we just have to be plain sometimes. There are people that are saying, I can't wait for the messenger of this age to introduce me uh, to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not arguing whether that'll take place or not, uh, but he's already introduced you. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point. We had a Methodist Jesus. We had a Baptist Jesus, a Catholic one. We have a church down the street from us. It's called the Cool Church. Cool Church, right? You, these are hippies from the... 60s that got religion now, you know? So they're still wearing their Birkenstocks and ponytails and, uh, you know, you can get Starbucks coffee or if you don't like that, Seattle Best or whatever, right? Next thing you know, they'll have pony rides for the kids and laundromats, you, you know, service is only gonna last a half hour, so, you know, you can be doing your laundry at the, I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. They literally had a flyer that said, we won't make you feel bad. We won't keep you long, you know, all this stuff that just sounds so good to the flesh. You know, while we're on it, let's just stop there for a minute. Remember the hippie movement in the 60s that Ed and I and many of you grew up in? They are going to judge modern day Christians because they were called counterculture. Anybody know what counterculture means? Of course you do, right? It means you're going against the culture of the day. So what did they do? The women didn't cut their hair. They didn't wear makeup. They wore long dresses, right? We got a lot of message hippies too. You could just blend right on in. You got all the dress and everything, but what denomination are you? None. I'm not part of that horror system. Nah. Nobody's telling me what to do. Yeah, somebody is, and you just don't realize it. But if that's counterculture, what a reproach to, to modern day Christian, the Christianity of that day. What a reproach. If that's counterculture, then where, what, was, what were they doing in the denominational ranks? Many of us grew up under that. We saw it changing right before our eyes. So, David was not looking at the enemy for his timepiece. David was not looking at the problems. David was looking at the problem solver. He was waiting for the move of God 
for the wind to blow in the bushes because the angel of the Lord would be in that wind. This messenger introduced me to the Christ of the Bible. I don't know anybody, and I'm not being critical. I mean, I include myself in this. I don't know anybody that talked about Jesus Christ as much as he did. And, and look at all the things that they say about him. His whole point was to get you to him. And he's still here. How can he be uniting with the body if he isn't here? And how could you unite with him if you haven't met him? We're not going to a wedding, we've been united. We're going to a wedding supper. So the true Christ of the Bible, we've met him. We're in a relationship. We're walking with him. He's having preeminence in a body. I'm sorry uh, uh, to bring the, the, this kind of an image into your mind, but there was a program on TV back in the 60s and it was called uh, uh, To Tell the Truth. What a name for a TV program, To Tell the Truth, right? And what they would do is they'd bring somebody in, uh, they'd bring three people in, and they'd lie left and right, you know. Uh, they'd, they'd have a panel that's trying to question them, and one of them is the real Mr. Magoo, or whatever his name might be, right? And so they'd have a panel, and it was their job to question these three people to try to figure out who the real Mr. Magoo is, right? And so these other three would lie and try and lie the best they could, and, and then in the end, they'd say, well, the real Mr. Magoo, please stand up, right? And you'd see somebody start to stand up and give a little fake, and you're like, oh, no, no, I, I didn't pick that one. I thought it was this one over here, but it was just a little fake, you know, a little head fake. And then the real Mr. Magoo would stand up, right? That's what took place in this day. Will the real Jesus Christ of the Bible please stand up? The mighty God unveiled before us. The presence of God unrecognized. He's here, friends. So David wasn't looking at the enemy for his timepiece, but he was looking to the move of God. I want you to know that the bride is not looking at her enemy today either, but she's looking to the move of God, and she can be assured that the angel of the Lord is still in the camp. Besides the darkness that's all around us, friends, besides the troubles that's on every side, we have a spiritual revelation that we can stand on that is a solid rock and it's not moving. We're not looking at the things from the natural, we're not looking at the things from the ground. We have been given an eagle anointing, we have been given the eye of an eagle to lift us up to a place, to put us in a cleft of a rock, to place us upon a rock while everything else is moving and shifting, we're standing on a solid rock. We have a secret place that he's hidden us in that the devil cannot prevail against. And this world is shifting sands, but this bride is not moving with the world. The prophet said there is a faith that moves this bride, and it is the very faith of God that moves her. How many knows that's true? There's a bride that's turned her back to the world. Oh, friends, sure, we recognize modern events being made clear by prophecy, but we're not taking our cues from the world. We've turned our back on the world, and we're looking to the mulberry bush this morning, and we are waiting for God to orchestrate the battle. 
and we've seen the wind in the mulberry bush, and we are entering into this last final battle uh, for us at this time, and if there was ever a time to fight, it's now. And the reason is, you can't lose. We are fully equipped in this hour. Satan will be defeated. Satan will be trapped down here. <laughs> we will go up. He will be trapped here. It's, there's, we can't lose in this hour. If there was an ever, ever a time for you to chase a demon of depression, it's this morning. We've seen the angel moving in the mulberry bush, and it's time for us to stand, and it's time for us to face down our enemy, and it's time for us to run him out of our valley. It's time to chase away uh, 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 demons that have been passed down through our family tree. It's time to chase down depression, hand-me-down devils from our first tree. The presence of God is now with the church, and the presence of God is backing her, and we can't lose. There was a time for the heroes of the faith to fight, and they fought. There was a time for Joshua to fight, and he fought. There was a time for uh, uh, Brother Hildebrand to fight, and he fought. Now there's a time for you to fight. Now there's a time for me to fight. And fight we will. Now is the time, because the wind is blowing in the bushes. He's in the camp. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit over time, but I gotta get to this point, friends. You won't be sorry. We got him on the run, let's keep him on the run. Isaiah 55, verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is not a put down. God is not telling you this to criticize you. But what he wants you to know this morning is that there are ways that are higher than your natural thinking. When the elect of God see his thoughts on the matter, that's when, that's what will take the bride into a higher realm of thinking. And as you think in your heart, so are you. We are in the mind portion of the body now. That means, you know, in the, all the other parts of the body, you can see movement of you know, the lips, you can see the lips move, the eyes, we heard what the eyes told us, and you know, different parts of the body, but now we're in the mind, right? It's, it's not a public show, and it's not a visible union. It's an invisible union, right? And, and being in the mind portion, we, we're not just seeing a, a, a chronology of, of what God did, but now we are seeing what he was thinking. And we are seeing why. And Satan fears the thoughts this morning of you recognizing who you truly are. And that's why he continually bombards us with thoughts concerning our first birth. But we are dead to our first birth. We are cut off of that tree. Forget about the first birth this morning, friends. You didn't, you didn't choose that first birth. You were born in it. You didn't come to this. You weren't made subject to vanity willingly. You came in that condition. Cut it off. Quit identifying with your first birth. Well, I'm this way. I'll always be this way. That's who you were. Now, who are you? 
in order to know that, we got to have some different thinking, don't we? Now, I can't prove to anybody this morning that there is a living gene of God in my third realm. But by revelation, I declare to you this morning that there is. Amen? Amen? Listen, friends, the devil can't change God's mind about you this morning. God has already sealed the thought in his own mind concerning the real you, and he's trying to get you to see who he sees. And when you see who you are, you will act like you, who you are. So I want you to see this morning, friends, that there's a higher thought concerning you. That's shouting material. It really is, because if there was no higher thought, you can't live any higher. It's a tremendous thought. You see, if there's no higher thought concerning you, then you would have to stay the way that you are. Look at the places that our thoughts can take us to. I want you to know that the Word of God has never placed you into depression. Never. The Word of, the word of God has never spoken evil of you. God never cursed Adam. Your human thoughts declare, I can't live it. Well, your human thoughts are right. Humanly, you can't live it. Well, I can't overcome this thing. But God never told you that. Why do we entertain these thoughts? What we need to do is, is say, devil, what chapter, what verse? Where does it say that in God's word? <laughs> you know, back in the... Uh, uh, back in the 80s or 90s, there was this kind of disrespectful thing that uh, uh, people would do, and especially if you're a valley girl or whatever the other term might be, but uh, people would say, you know, if, if they don't want to talk to you and they feel like you're being disrespectful, they'll put their hand up and they'll say, talk to the hand. The face doesn't want to talk to you, right? And it's kind of smart aleck, right? And it's kind of a little bit uh, disrespectful, but I think we ought to do that to the devil, I think we ought to say, talk to the Word, because I don't want to talk to you. In fact, I don't have to talk to you. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. I'm not going to battle you thought to thought. Let's let the Word battle you. Hallelujah. The Word has never spoken evil of you. Your thoughts, your human thoughts declare, I can't live this. But that's not what God's thought declares. So whose thought is it? And why do we want to dwell on negative thoughts? You're the one that declares it's too hard. And we do that based on the suggestions that Satan gives to us. Friends, God is so much bigger than any of the circumstances in our lives. Satan is not in control this morning. Marion, if, if, if Satan wants to put a challenge on you, he has to go to God first. Right? And he says, I, I, I got this trial that I want to give him, and God looks at it and says, no, nah, he's not ready for this. Let's just put it over here on the stack. Uh, he will be ready for it, but not right now. No, you can't do that. Right? Well, how about this one? God looks over it. Michael, or God looks over at, uh, you know, one of the archangels and kind of laughs and says, yeah, go ahead. 
Satan's going to get his wings singed. <laughs> Go ahead and do it, right? And so Satan gives you that trial and you overcome it because God knew what was in you. Hallelujah. Satan needs permission for what he does to you. And this is the most wicked age that there's ever been. But Jesus said, I will be with you, even in you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You realize Adam left his wife in the garden. He says, I'm not going to do that. I will never leave you. She wouldn't have fallen if he'd have been there right with her, right? We know that this had to unfold this way, but I'm just saying, right? Jesus, when he went to the cross, he faced, friends, if you ever felt all alone, I'm not being unsympathetic this morning, you will never be as alone as he was. He, He tread the wine press of the wrath of Almighty God all by himself. Heaven turned its back. The Spirit of God departed. His chosen disciples denied him, turned their back. The people that he was sent to crucified him. (laughs) The sun refused to shine. The moon turned its back. Is that right? He was completely alone. So when you read the scripture where he says, I will never leave you, think about that. He's telling you, I went to hell for you so that you wouldn't have to. I was all alone when I did this, but you will never, ever, 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 ever be alone. I'll be with you. Where you go, I go. What you go through, I'll be with you. Oh, that causes us to love them and praise them and thank them. This is the most wicked age ever, but he said, I'll be with you. He's already come. He's here. Who's going to stop him? Who's going to prevent him from finishing this tabernacle that he declared that he would build? Sometimes our own thinking just puts us in places that we can't get out of. I'm, I'm pulling over here in just a moment. It puts us in a box, if you will. Situations in our life. Our past, it puts us in a box. And unless something breaks that, we'll always be in that box. Have you ever heard the term, think outside of the box? It's actually kind of a ludicrous term because you're in the box, so how are you gonna think outside of it? We would start new programs, new development programs, and the first thing, you know, let's have one of these team building deals and whatever. No idea is a bad idea. We want to do things differently, so to do things differently, we need to think outside of the box. Sounds real good, right? But if you're in the box, how can you think outside of the box? you got to get out of the box to think outside of the box. Are you with me? What it means is you're breaking your pattern of thinking and you're taking away the constraints. Instead of saying why you can't, you know, You're not supposed to kill any of those ideas because they're little infants, little babies. Don't kill them in the cradle. Let's get them out there and then let's explore it, right? But truly, to think outside of the box means you gotta get outside of the box, right? And I'm so glad this morning for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because now my heart can be searched, 
my mind can be cleansed, my conscious, my subconscious, by the washing of the water of the word. And that's why we come to church every time we can. I realize it's harder and harder, friends, and I realize there's lots of conditions, but every time you come, you're getting washed by the water of the word. You leave differently than you came, and it was, uh, I don't want to go off on another tangent. I don't have to be bound by the constraints of my old thoughts. I don't have to be a prisoner of my old thoughts. So I want to close with this thought. Job actually represents the original position of man. Job had everything. Job started out right. Job uh, had a fall. Everything was taken away from him. And then everything was restored back to Job. And his end condition was greater than his beginning condition. Oldest book of the Bible, it's the whole story of redemption just in the life of that one man. So he actually represents the story of redemption, and I can't think of anybody that had it as bad as Job did. Job had all these counselors, and every one of them tried to tie his circumstances back to secret sin. But watch what happens when Job comes to the lowest place in his life. He's sitting on an ash heap, and he's scraping his boils, scraping his sores, and his wife is telling him, why don't you just renounce God? Why don't you just curse God and die? He's in the lowest valley of his life. Everything's been taken away from him. His health, his family, his position, his reputation. You and I might have been in some pretty low spots, but I don't think any of us has been as low as he was. But notice, he's sitting there, but he's not a secret sinner. He's sitting on an ash heap, and the ash heap is what remains of his burnt offering. That's all that's left. He's accepted the sacrifice. He knows that God has accepted his sacrifice, and he's identifying himself personally with his sacrifice. The ashes, that's all that he has left that identifies that he met God's requirements, and he's not going to move. He doesn't have any more revelation than that. All he knows, it's like us coming to justification. All he knows is he met God's requirement and he's not gonna move. He's gonna stay there at the foot of the cross, if you will, right? So he's looking at the ashes rather than the transgressions and he's believing since he met God's requirements, his transgressions have been dealt with, no matter what anybody else says, right? But now, as Paul would put it, he's gotta go beyond the foundation of repentance and doctrines and go on into perfection, right. right? So he's sitting, as it were, at the foot of the cross, but he needs to progress in his walk with God, and what's going to change it is thoughts. Right. I hope somebody's listening this morning. Yeah. What's gonna change it is thoughts. He's met God's requirements, he's sitting on the evidence that proves that he's met God's requirements, and like us, when we first get saved, he has no idea why he's going through what he's going through. But he knows it's not sin. He knows that's been dealt with. And he's not moving. He doesn't understand why family's turned against him. This is happening. That's happening. But his faith tells him, I have met God's requirements. This is all I know, but I've met his requirement. I don't understand the circumstances in my life, but I know I've repented. And I know I've provided the required sacrifice, and I know God has accepted it. 
but I'm not sure why I'm going through all that I'm going through. Brother Branham says, if you think that God is putting something on you, well, then the devil has a right to stay right there. But if you can see that it's the devil, then you have a right to push back. If you think it's God, then you'll sit back and you'll say, must Jesus bear the cross alone? No, excuse me, I was gonna say dummy, but (laughs) no, you're bearing something yourself. He bore the cross so that you wouldn't have to. So Job is sitting there and a whirlwind comes down and God is veiled in that whirlwind. So when Job couldn't go up to where God was, God came down to where Job was. I don't know where you were at, friends, but I do know that God had to come down into the blackness of my life. God had to stoop down. God had to come down into the blackness of my ideas and my thinking, and he had to reach way down into my life. And God parted the veil. And God spoke to Job right where he was sitting. Job couldn't go up to God. God came down to Job. And then he said, Job, stand up. What does that represent? It's time for you to grow up into the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's time for you to grow up through seven church ages. Stand up. Stand to your feet. Go beyond baptisms and so on and so forth. He says, Job, I want to show you something. And I want to place you on a rock. And I want you to stand. I am a restorer. I'm going to build you back up. Friends, what I want us to see this morning is that God's word never casts you down. God's word will not throw you into a ditch. It always lifts you up. He's the lifter of my soul. Lifter of my head. God's word has never pushed you into a hole. God's word has never backed you into a corner. God's word has never cast you into hell. You gotta try to go to hell. You gotta reject mercy. Amen. And you don't want that. Just tell the devil that this morning. Devil, I'm not going to hell. I have no part in you. You wouldn't want me there. Amen. Hell wasn't created for me. I know you're in, devil. You know what? I just want to remind you of something, devil. Before you were, I was. And after, after you are, I will be. Now, you didn't exist physically, but you were in God's thinking. His thoughts are eternal. The thought that he had concerning you, right? You should look at that devil and say, you know what, devil? I know what your end is. I haven't expected it, so do you. You know what? I'm on the kicking committee. Because one day you're going to go in that lake of fire and I'm going to help put you in there. Amen? Amen? Your usefulness will be over. You will have served your purpose, bringing me to my expected end. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's word has a lifting power, friends. And God always has a prepared place for you to stand. Quickly, really quickly. Job 38.1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? 
There's no knowledge there. There's no revelation. Where are these thoughts coming from, Job? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job, when I was framing the earth by my divine intelligence, where were you? You see, Job was misplacing himself and the word concerning him by listening to human counsel, by listening to wrong thoughts. And it took the mind of God to come down into that valley and raise Job up into the mind of God and show Job what was in the back parts of his mind. Job was thinking on the wrong thoughts. Job was in a box of his own thinking. Where were you when the sons of God shouted for joy? What were they shouting about? Brother Branham said, they seen it when he slain the lamb and brought perfection to them. The blood will take you, <coughs> excuse me, and transport you into a place where you can believe. That's the theme of our message. We do everything but this. Only, believe. only, believe. only. Believe. Job was gonna have to answer God. Job was gonna have to tell him his point of origin in order to tell him why he was where he was at now, right? Friends, until you understand why God originally made you, you will not understand why you're going through what you're going through now. Job was a son of God, and you aren't just anybody, you're a child of God, is that right? And we know nothing can ascend except at first descend, so you came from somewhere, and God is trying to get you to see where you came from, and the revelation of God as your savior will eliminate sin from your life, and it'll settle the sin question, amen? Go beyond the ash heap and walk into what your slain sacrifice has provided for you this morning. Stand up. Come to the end of the ages. Job, stand up. Let me show you at the end of the ages what's in the back part of my mind. Let me show you my thoughts concerning you. Job wasn't getting skim milk, friends. God talked to him as a mature man. And he was being brought to a place where he could stand again. What's happening in this last day? God is showing us his thoughts. He's revealing what's in the back part of his mind. He's prepared a place where Job could stand once again. He's prepared a place for us as well. When that revelation broke on Job, he said, I know my Redeemer liveth. You realize he caught this revelation before Moses or anybody else spoke of it? God showed him. Showed him the revelation of the kinsman redeemer. He recognized that his redeemer was not man but God. And he realized that 
all that he lost could be restored. Friends, you've never lost anything serving Christ. Everything a man loses will be given back to him. None of us will face him and say, you owe me. He will owe no one. You can't outgive God. How many knows that's true? Amen. Very first Pentecostal meeting. I, I'm really trying to pull over. I really, I, I'm, somebody has to stand up or something. Brother Brown's first Pentecostal meeting. He says this, a, a black man about 80 years old or so, you know, his head is rimmed with white hair and, and he's looking and he's thinking, you know, all these preachers here and they got this 80, they're having to help this guy up onto the platform, you know. And uh, he's wondering, all these fine ministers, why is this guy up there, right? And the guy takes his texts and he jumps up in the air, the inspiration strikes him, he clicks his heels together and he says, you don't have enough room up here for me to preach, right? And then he took this text, where were you? When the sons of God shouted for joy, and the morning stars sang. And he's one of those morning stars. Hallelujah. And he's hearing at his very first Hallelujah. inspired <laughs> Holy Ghost meeting. He's, he's beginning to get a glimpse of who he is. Amen. Friends, the question that we, we often hear is, where were you? But the real question is, who are you, right? If you can figure out where you were, you'll know who you are. If you were in him, if that's where you were, you know that you are part of him. You are his offspring. You came from him. Glory to God. You were never born to be a sinner. You were never ordained for hell. You, you were always a son of God. And he has been waiting so that he could birth you by his word, by his spirit, and say to you, arise and stand to your feet. Why don't we do that this morning? Let's stand. As the scripture says, arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Church, I want you to know all across the globe, there are members of this mystical body here and everywhere else. And God is orchestrating this body. He doesn't have to tell one local body what he's doing with another and there's nothing wrong. Certainly we want to cooperate however we can, help and pray and what have you. But every local church, God's leading and guiding. He's, he's working. He's finishing this work. And if he's not doing it, it won't get done. But he is doing it. And the light is shining on you. We're running the last leg of the race. We can't hand this off to somebody else. Amen. Right? We got to cross that finish line. Amen. Right? This the cycle of revival and death is broken. We're not going, this, this isn't going to die. This revival is going to lead to a, a body change. But you've got to run your part. What a privilege. <laughs> what an honor. You say it's so hard, it's so blessed. Oh, it's so horrible this last hour, it's so wonderful. You are living in the golden age of the plan of redemption. You are living out what, what prophets long to see. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. 
Arise and shine, for thy light has come. Brother Brown said, when inspiration comes, you know that he's nearby. So where would we be this morning, friends, without that prophet's message? Without that inspiration? Without the living word? Where would we be without that word that we can sit under and let it raise us up in our thinking? We'd be thinking our old thoughts, but now we're thinking new thoughts. We are taking on the mind of Christ. Is that right? This message lifts us up beyond our own thinking. Aren't you glad? We get so wrapped up. I, I am closing with this thought. We get so wrapped up in our own thinking. And it causes us to struggle. And maybe even struggle with the message of our day because it's our own thinking we're struggling with. Our human minds can be so polluted We have thoughts that are buried in our human mind from the past that can be pulled up in life. It's stored in the memories of our humanity. Our natural thinking then is limited to our human experiences. But I'm so glad this morning that God has given us something to erase our human thoughts and to bring our our thinking subject to the word. I'm so glad that the living word can discern my thoughts. Friends, when you come to church, I I know that you believe this. I I know I'm preaching to real uh, believers here this morning. When you come to church, we we will admit that the word cuts. But you know that it wasn't Brother Ed or one of these other brothers that's looking at you. Well, I'm going to pick on this one today. The The word is discerning. The word is, uh, and the, the preacher, I don't know what's being dealt with this morning. I don't know, right? It, it, if I hung around, if I went to all your different houses, then the devil would whisper in your ear, well, he was over at your house, and you know, you expressed this or that, and so that's why he preached it. <laughs> that's, that's what's kind of nice about going out on the field once in a while, right? Because you have to admit this morning, I don't know, right? But he does. And he will discern your thoughts. And he will, oh, you know, this is still connected with this, so I didn't lie. It's still connected to this thought. When I was a kid and we'd be going somewhere in the car, anybody ever have a spit bath? Know what I'm talking about? We're driving in the car and mom would say, come here, Douglas. I knew when she called me Douglas, something was, you know, it wasn't Doug, it's Douglas, right? And she'd pull out her little tissue. <laughs> Come here. You know, and you're leaning back like this. You got a little something on your face, and mom's trying to clean it off. You know, there's no, there's no gas station that we're at. We're in the car. We're driving, right? So mom's going to clean that off. Mom can see it, and mom's going to clean it off. And, and we're thankful when somebody can, you know, because they don't want us to be embarrassed. Oh, you got egg on your face. Oh, yeah, I'm saving it. Yeah. <laughs> You can look in a mirror and you can find out where you need to wash. But on the inside, I mean, that is so, that is so discouraging to even think about. God, I don't, even, I don't even know what needs to be washed. I don't know what needs to be changed. I don't know what thinking is wrong. I need help. Well, the Word knows. And the Word discerns. 
And every time we come together, the word discerns. The word discerns. And it will wash you by the water of the word. That's how you can be spotless without blemish because the word will make sure. If, if, if I'm dirty on the inside, I don't know where to scrub. And I, I don't even want to picture that thought of a scrub brush inside my head, you know. I, I, I can't do it, but he can. Amen. Aren't you glad this morning, friends? I'm so glad that God has given me something that's greater than my natural thoughts. I'm so glad that my thinking can become subject to the word. When we try to lead ourselves with our own thoughts, there's no way to do it without the pollution of our past because it's all connected together. So we need that to be washed away and God will wash it with the water of the word. I'm so glad that there's a blood that can wash me inside and out. I'm so glad that every time I hear the anointed word, I am being washed by the water of the word. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad that God has higher thoughts concerning me today that are so much higher than my thoughts, so much higher than anything I could have imagined. Amen. He has wonderful thoughts concerning you this morning. If you just bow your heads for a moment. We're not being insensitive at all this morning, friends. We know that the things that we go through in this life, we know that the challenges that we face, we know that the bombardment that we're under by the enemy, we know the things from our past, the experiences that we've had, we know how hard these things can be. But there's a cure this morning. There's a, a washing this morning that can make you white as snow, that can set you free from these things that, that have a hold of us. So much of it, no fault of your own. And it's immaterial whether it was or not. There's a, there's a cleaning solution this morning that can change our thinking. I'm so glad that there's an evening light this morning that's called you out of darkness and called you to walk in the fullness of the sun. People are they don't know who to trust. It's the most deceitful age, deceitful hour, and yet you've got a rock to stand on that's not moving. You know what you can believe and what you can trust. You're not tossed about. I'm so glad that we don't have to go where our natural thoughts lead us, but we can walk in the eternal thoughts of God by saying, be it unto me according to thy word. His word cannot return into him void, friends but it will accomplish what it was sent to do. You are his eternal thoughts. And that word must be made flesh and you must fulfill your purpose. Our part is, I agree, Lord. I surrender. Be it unto me. At thy word, Lord. The tabernacle of the Lord is on the earth and his voice is sounding loud and clear. And the word lived is light, and it judges, rightly dividing right from wrong. You are the end time lights this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I told your pastor yesterday, day before, I've never seen the northern lights that I'm aware of. I've 
I've, been li I've lived in places where they actually showed themselves and I didn't see them at the time. But it's always been a desire of mine to see those northern lights. But I'm realizing this morning that I am seeing the northern lights. I'm seeing lights that God predestinated to shine in the darkness in this part of Canada in 2024. I'm seeing the very light of God, the Word being made manifest, living. We know that there'll be gross darkness upon the earth when the bride is lifted off of the earth, but right now there's light. And that light is shining. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if there's someone this morning that would want to lift your hand to him and say, Lord, I'm tired of being battered around by my human thoughts. I'm tired of the devil taking me round and round and round. I know that you are not the author of confusion. And I know that there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Father, I want to think on your thoughts. I want to dwell on your thoughts. I want to, I want to determine as I go out the doors this morning, as I'm heading into this new year, we're not making a New Year's resolution. But Lord, as you bring these things to my attention, Lord, I wanna, I wanna focus more on the wonderful things that you're doing. I wanna focus more on the marvelous thoughts that you've expressed to us in this hour that people from other ages have never seen these things before. So precious. I want those to be the things that I look upon, that I gaze upon. I want to walk in these things, Lord. And I want to say to you this morning, Lord, be it unto me. I, I, I can't see how it could possibly happen, but I believe you. I believe, Lord, that not by my bite, not by power, but by your spirit, you will finish this thing that you've started. You will finish this work. You started, you are the author of this creation. You are the author of my salvation. You will finish what you have started. You're the Alpha and the Omega. Father, I just want to commit to you this morning, Lord, that I'm just going to, as we read in the opening scripture, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pleasant, right, I, I want to think on these things. Lord, I realize that you've given me, that you have an expected end to my life, and you're not fretting over it this morning. I want to believe that. I want to accept it. No matter what it looks like, I want to believe that your word will be fulfilled in my life. Lord, you can do anything. I surrender. Be it unto me according to thy word. Lord, you see the hands all over the building. I pray that you bless each and every one, Lord. Perhaps there's some at home that are lifting their hands. Lord, I pray that you minister to their hearts as well. Father, all of us, myself included, Lord, I want to focus more of my time on the marvelous things that you're doing, on the positive things, on your thoughts, Lord, because your thoughts are true. Your thoughts are right. Your thoughts are eternal. Your thoughts are being manifested. They're, they are unfolding. I don't want to focus. Your word has already prophesied what the enemy would do in this hour. 
And Lord, I should be encouraged when I, when I recognize that what you said the enemy is going to do, he is doing. Well, then how much more what you said that you would do are you doing? Lord, we want to focus on those things. Your light is come. It's a dreadful time, but it's a great time. There's never been a day like this. There's never been light like this. Lord, we're running the, we realize that we've been tasked to finish this race. We might be young, we might be middle-aged, we might be in our golden time of our walk, but each and every one of us has a place. Each and every one of us has a position. And I pray, oh God, that we would meditate on those things as your word, Lord, as it goes forth. And we know as your ministry is faithfully following your leadership and ministering this word, we know that your word is, is going to accomplish these things. We know that you're directing it. Lord, we know that if it was left up to us, it'd be hopeless. We wouldn't even know what to do. But we're leaving the thinking to you, Lord. Your, your, your thoughts are right. Your ways are right. And your spirit will accomplish what you set out to do. We trust you this morning, Lord. We believe you. May your blessings be upon each and every one, Lord. Bless our pastor and his wife and the, well, all that are serving here. Bless this body, Lord. We just thank you so much for uh, uh, all that's being done in this local body and all that's been done and all that certainly will be done. We know that there's more in the future. Father, we love you. We thank you. We just commit ourselves into your hands. Each and every one, we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Amen. Are you washed by the water of the word? Do you know no. what it is not to have one guilty feeling, not to wonder where you're going when you die, not condemned of the past, not afraid of what tomorrow holds in store, and know the reason why, yes, that's just